Hi folks, a very quick announcement before we get started on the episode this week. And that is a huge thank you to Katie Unicorn Stewart. I don't know if your middle name really is Unicorn. If it is, that is an awesome name. So the fabulous Katie Unicorn Stewart gave us a recent review on Apple Podcasts about the recent Governance Summit summary. So five stars for Take On Board, she says. Loved the recent Governance Summit summary podcasts. Super useful. Katie, happy to help. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to do a review. So a little prompt for others that might be listening. I love it when I get reviews and you might get read out on the pod as well. So get in there and work out how to do ratings and reviews and let me know what you think of the pod. All right, on with the show. Hi folks, it's Helia. Before we hear from the fabulous Jessica Wallace today, I just wanted to make a couple of brief announcements. I'll be in Sydney for the AICD Governance Summit on the 1st and 2nd of March, so in just a week or two. So two things from that. Firstly, if you're also going to be there at the Governance Summit, let me know because I'd love to catch up with you in one of the breaks. Secondly, if you live in Sydney or if you're going to be at the Governance Summit, come along to the Sydney Take On Board Meetup. It's on Monday the 1st of March at 6pm. Get in touch and I'll send you the details. And thirdly, if you're in Sydney or if you know of somebody in Sydney who would be a fabulous guest for the Take On Board podcast, let me know. I'd love to record some episodes while I'm up there. Last but not least, the next Take On Board virtual event is on Tuesday the 16th of March, so you can come from wherever you are in the world. This time we're featuring Hannah Brown on the importance of cybersecurity as an issue for boards. She'll help demystify it for us and there'll be plenty of time for you to ask your questions and uh, know that there is no such thing as a stupid question. Details in the show notes or in the Take On Board Facebook group. There's also a link to that in the show notes or just search Take On Board in Facebook. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Jessica Wallace about board composition. We'll be discussing the key findings of a recent report, Many Are Called, Few Are Chosen a study on the changes to the composition of ASX 300 boards focusing on the non-executive pool from 2005 to today. I should also do a quick shout-out to the fabulous Morgana Ryan, who suggested suggested Ownership Matters, where Jessica works, and suggested this report as a topic for the podcast. Now, first, before we get into the conversation, let me tell you about Jessica. Jessica is a corporate governance analyst first in the UK and then joining Ownership Matters in Australia in 2013, where she engages with and prepares research on ASX 300 listed companies. At Ownership Matters, they believe that ownership does matter and that shareholders, as the owners of the company, should hold boards and management teams accountable for their performance. 
They highlight governance risks to clients and advocate for change, both through their research and recommendations and through an ongoing dialogue with boards and management. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Jessica. Hi, thank you. It's interesting, uh, you know, that ownership does matter and that owners of companies, the shareholders, should hold boards accountable. Of course, most of our listeners here are board directors and it's just an interesting I guess, what's the word? Conflict is going too far. Tension, shall we say, often between shareholders and board directors. But generally speaking, it's a great thing if those shareholders have an active voice in it. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jessica, before we talk about the report, as always, I want to dig a little bit deeper about you. So can you tell me something from the last month or so that you're proud of? can. So I think for me, it certainly has to be um, just coming off the back of doing our 2020 proxy season, having been locked down for most of the year in Melbourne, having not been in the office with the rest of the team since March. I think at the best of times in normal circumstances, you know, it's a very intense period. There's lots of discussions, engagement going on. So then doing that with the team all remote and then you know, speaking to the directors, not in person over Zoom, which, you know, whilst is good, it's not as good as, Mm. you know, sitting around the table and having these discussions. So I think, you know, also off the back, a lot of us having done online learning with kids for a long period of time, we all kind of entered it already feeling we were pretty tired. (laughs) So I think that for me is certainly something to be, be proud of. Oh, well, it is lovely to actually have you at the table today. I should also say, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but um, Jessica and I initially recorded this back in, I think, in December last year, and we had so many Zoom problems. It's the first time that I've recorded a podcast where the guest disappeared entirely because the internet failed us, and it just cut out so many times that we thought, let's just wait a little while and do it today. So... It's awesome to see you across the table in real life, (laughs) in real 3D, and to continue the conversation. I will get to the report, I promise. (laughs) But before I do that, as a corporate governance analyst, what drew you to that? That is a good question. I think it was certainly a case that it's just something I ended up falling into. Mm. I can't say that I'd left uni and thought, I even knew what a corporate governance analyst necessarily was, but it's certainly something that, yeah, I ended up doing and I did it in the UK for, I don't even know how long, it certainly would have been five or six years over there. And then we we all moved, the whole family moved to Melbourne and I was actually lucky enough to then join Ownership Matters where I'd, like within my previous organisation, worked with couple of people there so I'd known them and they'd it all sort of fell into place that they'd started ownership matters Mm. just at the time that I was looking for for some work in Melbourne so worked out excellently. Fantastic and about so the organization you were working for in the UK similarly were looking at shareholder perspectives and research. Very similar. For me I'm certainly I like research and I like writing and I like very analytical like the detail so Mm. very well suited Mm. to that and also good to be doing something where you are actually helping to drive 
positive change as well. Yeah, it's fantastic to get that slightly different perspective here from you, from that kind of, yeah, the shareholder perspective or the research around the shareholder perspective and to get some of those insights for directors as well. Incredibly valuable. That's it. I think it's more the outside looking in. Yeah. From that. And also, you know, the difficulty, I guess, that you you also have from being the outside looking in and I guess you only get get the information that you get told that you can see. You can't observe actually what's going on inside these meetings. So it's mm. it's also trying to understand what roles everyone is playing and and how you do you know hold people to account mm-hmm. where the issues arise because you're obviously not not on that side. Yes, you're, you're on the outside. Anyone who knows me knows that I can never not ask women this question. So <laughs> any aspirations to get uh, on that side of the boardroom? That's a good question. I have been, obviously, the more people that I speak to and especially, you know, doing things like this and mm. listening to two women who are on boards, it's certainly something I wouldn't rule out. We will. I'll take that as encouragement to come back to you at some stage about, oh, so what are you looking for, <laughs> Jessica? Actually, no, why wouldn't I do that right now? Actually, so hypothetically speaking, Jessica, just imagining that nobody's listening to this conversation at all, (laughs) but if you could choose any board or any industry or any sector that you could just land yourself magically on the board of, what would it be? Oh, that's putting me on the spot now. I know. (laughs) I guess things that, that I tend to be interested in the companies we look at, I do really enjoy retail companies. Mm -hmm. I do find them of interest. Anything, I think certainly where you've got got companies with with good culture and Mm -hmm. things to do with that, I think that'd certainly be something that I'd be drawn to where there is a heavy focus on on that type of creating that environment, really creating those good cultures that you can see, you know, you can see when you speak to some of the boards, you can really feel that sort of culture coming from the top down, where certainly on the flip side, you can feel it being mentioned as a, we need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. because we need to say say that, but you're not really feeling mm-hmm. that they're truly believing in that and that's really something that goes through through the organisation. So I, I anything, yeah, somewhere where you've got that, I really find that amazing how you can build businesses where you truly do have these cultures mm-hmm. ingrained mm. in not a, a weird cult kind of way and just <laughs> like, a, you know, in a very, people do truly believe it and feel that they are part of it. Yes, Mm, okay, well, so I'm not sure if that answered the question. It was sort of, <laughs> but well, certainly a, things that I'm drawn to. Yeah, well, that's certainly a few little hints in there. So I will keep that on my radar. And hey, people out there and take on board land, if you're not a retail organisation with fabulous culture or even pretty good culture that might need somebody championing culture in the boardroom, who needs somebody on the board with fabulous analytical skills and who also has a fantastic understanding of shareholder needs, well, maybe Jessica's your person. (laughs) A few boxes there to tick. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Great. Thank you for indulging me in that. It's always good to know more about, well, A, about the person, but also... It's it's a good thing to think about as well. It's probably not something Mm. I've... uh, Every now and again, I do have a think, but... Oh, well. Give that a bit more thought. Happy to plant that seed (laughs) for you. So, Ownership Matters late last year did a report called Many Are Called, Few Are Chosen, which, as I said in the intro here, talks about some of the changes in composition at the ASX 300 level. What are some of your reflections about that report and what it might mean for boards? I think probably one of the, the more surprising findings in there was sort of looking at company performance and board turnover. Mm -hmm. And I guess 
what you would ideally like to see would be where you perhaps have, you know, poorly performing companies, a higher level of turnover within those organisations compared to the sort of better performing companies. However, that was not what the research found at all. Mm. In fact, there was very minimal difference between the worst and the best performing companies. I think it was the equivalent of, I think, in the bottom quartile, I think there was maybe one more director turning over every three years compared Mm. to the better performing companies. So I think that was a very surprising... It's interesting. So people retain their roles regardless of company performance, essentially. Yeah, that seems to be what it was. And I think one of the, I guess... When you look at that, one of the other findings was that, so if you were a director appointed to, if you joined one board, Mm -hmm. you would then, I think the average tenure would be about six years. If you then got appointed to another board, that then increases to 10 years. And then for every subsequent board, I think it was another two year tenure, Mm. four years if you were the chair. So you've kind of got this, well... It looks like once you get in, you stay in. doesn't really matter how the companies perform. You just need to get into that club, yeah. for want of a better word, and then you stay in. Which is so interesting for shareholders. Like you're a company that informs shareholders and works with shareholders. Why aren't shareholders demanding more? Yeah, well, I certainly think that if this shows anything, there's certainly more of a, an active role for shareholders to be playing mm. within this process, within looking at, looking at the boards, looking at the compositions, looking at the tenure, you know, whether it's it's looking at the skill set within the board, you know, encouraging more turnover, more appointments of, of people, whether it's, uh, you know, with um, industry knowledge, all of those kinds mm. of things, looking to say, hang on, do we have too many lawyers? Do we have too many accountants? Do we actually have the right mix of skills within this board? And I think one of the other findings within the research was that you actually had a tendency for a lot of appointments to boards to be made from the existing pool of directors, Mm. which I think, again, sort of when you put all these pieces together, you look at it and doesn't seem to be working as efficiently Mm. as it should be. So you've got, I think, especially within uh, female directors, actually, you certainly saw that, I think it was in the past three years, you had 40% of female appointments to boards were already existing directors. So they were coming within Mm. the existing pool of the ASX 300 directors. And I think certainly something that we have observed where you, you know, you see a female director appointed to one ASX 300 board and all of a sudden they're on four boards. And so you look at that and you go, are you necessarily appointing the best person to the role or are you saying, oh, they're already on a board, Mm. so we'll just put them, they can come on our board Mm -hmm. and then we've, you know, we've got our gender diversity, they've got board experience, so they can come on. Mm. And as you said before, they're in the club, so they're already in the club, so let's just put them in another bit of the club. Yeah. Yeah, and you then run into the issue as well of hang on, you've got someone who's, who's got four board seats, it, you know, four ASX 300 board seats, that's a, a big workload. Absolutely. You then have, so you then run into that issue as well and you say, do you have capacity? You know, as, as the past year's mm. shown us, there's been a lot going on. Yes. I'm not sure if this is in your area of, of research and analysis, but I know, actually, I've got two questions from that. One is... I think there is going to be the introduction of the director identification numbers numbers soon and I wonder whether that will kind of surface the multiple boards that people are on a bit more overtly for people. Have you got any thoughts around that? 
I don't don't know particularly on that one, but certainly something that we focus quite a lot on in our research. We've got quite a good database and that mm. is certainly something that we mm. we focus on when we're looking at this, especially new appointments. Yep. And it, it's something that we discuss a lot with boards, you know, how, how do you ensure that people manage mm-hmm. all of their roles? How do you know for your shareholders on that board that they actually have enough time mm. to devote to this board when they've got all of these other boards within yeah. on which they sit? And an answer that pre-last year that I frequently got was, you know, but what are the chances of it all blowing up on every board at exactly the same time? I don't know. What are the chances of a global Turn, pandemic, yeah. let's say? It turns out it can happen. So yeah. So then you've got, you know, how do they manage it? How do you ensure that every board is getting the most mm. from that director? So from your analysis of those things, have you got a view about what is too many boards? Now that is the that's that's the million dollar question, and you know I have to say that I've had this discussion with a lot of directors, and I've certainly from directors themselves have said to me, for some directors, one board is one board too many. So it it really does come down to to the individual director. But for us, when you start to see four ISX three hundred boards, that's certainly a point where we would then mm. start asking questions, and I think. You then look at as well, you know, how long they've been on each board because you could argue someone who's been on a board for six, seven years, mm-hmm. that they know more about the business. But if you're joining four boards within the space of one or two years, that's a lot to get on top of. You know, we try and avoid any hard and fast rules around it, but that's certainly, you know, four boards, We would, especially if you've joined them in a short time frame, that is certainly when we'd start to to ask the question and we'd encourage, you know, shareholders as well to be having those discussions. And swinging back before when we were talking about people within the club getting the same roles and so on, in Australia, often the nominations to a board comes from almost the board themselves. The board will have their own nominations committee who nominate people in and of themselves quite often. I know in the report it referenced the Swedish model as doing things a little bit differently. Are you able to tell us any more about that? Yeah, very briefly. What they seem to have is so the nominations committee is sort of comprised of major shareholders. So they are then actually involved in that process, mm. which which I do think is is interesting and certainly helps you move away from the clubbiness with mm. which we do see. Interesting. Very often. And is that a requirement, is it, that the nominations that committee? I don't, that's that okay. I don't know. Well, do you know of any Australian companies that invite or encourage shareholders to be part of their nominations process or even outside Australian companies? No? No. I mean, certainly you'd only get the, the ones where you have the, the representatives mm. on the board interesting. would then be, be involved in the process. But, yeah, it certainly is an interesting... Um, interesting approach to it to try and encourage moving away from the pool of the directors who who will know each other and and that clubbiness and we actually have developed a tool which actually tries to to illustrate this it's a mapping tool Mm. so you type in it you can either do it at, at sort of board level or director level and so you can type in the director and you can sort of see all their connections on the boards they're on and other boards Mm that they've been on or, or who they're kind of linked to, to show that interconnectedness between the directors. It's a very effective way visually of seeing what anecdotally we observe. Interesting. And it's so it sounds like a LinkedIn for board members, basically. So you yep. can see who's connected where. And it's interesting hearing that because my bet is that sometimes people say and go, oh, look at this person. They're so well connected to all of these different people. 
But that's not always an advantage. That just shows that they are part of the system rather than getting some of that outside the system thinking coming in. So from your conversations with directors or from the research that you've done, um, obviously the Swedish model is one way of doing it. Are there any other things that you've come across that can really help to open that up to different forms of thinking? I think one of the things they've they've done in the UK is to look at the annual re-election of directors, I guess, to try and allow shareholders to every year be able to vote on the the re-election of of all these directors, which then allows you to, I guess, have a more targeted approach, whether it might be you've got a director who's been on another board where, you know, there's been big issues there that they have, they've overseen and should be held accountable for. That's certainly something that we would look at is performance on other boards and where you might have that happen and you have have someone who the previous year though got re-elected mm. at the AGM within Australia they've then still got you know two more years to serve so you can't hold them accountable at that particular time you know there might be issues whether it is with remuneration mm. whether there's audit issues where you know ultimately you've got the remuneration committee chair the audit committee chair these people who I guess as shareholders you you would hold them accountable mm. for these things. So the annual re-election of directors would allow that. I think in the UK, there was certainly a lot of pushback to begin with around it's going to be misused, it's mm. going to be a disaster, you know, all all shareholders are going to be using it to, you know, you've got the activist shareholders and mm. whatever it might be, which certainly wasn't the case. Yeah. But there was a lot of pushback from directors especially to begin with because that was sort of just coming in just as I left the UK. Interesting. It would require, not require, it might encourage more accountability and more regular accountability. Because, of course, I'd never thought of that. For directors, you can't really get sacked. Not, you know, if you've done something illegal or whatever, you might get debarred. Um, You might be strongly encouraged to resign. If somebody really stands their ground, you can't actually get sacked from the role. Yeah, you would need a shareholder to call a meeting. Mm. You would then need to get enough votes to be voted off but I think it was something around like 96% is the average sort of vote in favour of the the director re-election resolution so so the pushing off is unlikely to happen that's it so that's interesting in the UK that what they've done is have this annual re-election yet it hasn't caused instability no I wonder do you know if there's any research around whether it's actually created greater accountability that I don't know. You know, the shareholders have the option there to use it. I think we've had this discussion and, you know, some directors feel very passionately that they don't need that, there shouldn't be annual re-elections. But actually, you know, after this, the research was released, I certainly got some some emails from some directors who have read the research mm. actually saying that they really encourage the annual re-election, you know, mm. that this report has highlighted a lot of issues that they have observed and that they have no no objection to being held accountable every year to shareholders. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I think one of the other things, actually, whilst I remember just in terms of around these, the re-elections, I think, you know, we meet with directors each year and it's often it's the same directors, but we've had some um, discussions internally that wouldn't it be good if, you, you know, if you don't have the annual re-election, but the directors who are standing for re-election every year, well, they should should go and meet with shareholders. They should actually go and speak to you and almost tell you why they should then serve for another yeah. another term, which I also think is quite a good idea. Well, it's an election. Yeah, that's it. it. You... It is an election and you. I would say you should be accountable to your 
voters, your yeah, constituents, who are in this instance the shareholders. Yeah. And uh, it's always a good idea to explain to the people who may or may not be voting for you yep. what it is you stand for and what your experience is. Yeah, so yeah, it's something we've we've discussed a few times just internally, which mm. I think would also be a good good way of meeting the rest of the board because you often get the chair, mm. maybe the, the remuneration committee chair who often go and speak to the shareholders. But actually, you want to speak to everyone, mm. hear what they have to say. In the feedback you're hearing from directors following the report, is there any other feedback that you've heard that might be of interest? Certainly a lot of thank yous for highlighting what is still very much an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this is particularly focusing on this clubbiness. Obviously, there was the boys club, mm. then the improved diversity, but now you've really just got the girls club yes. as well as the boys club. So you've sort of improved the mm. diversity on boards, but you've done that by appointing the same pool of people. So you're still not getting that full diversity. You're still not necessarily getting the best minds on the boards. You're just getting the people who are already on boards. Oh, Jessica, I knew the time would go quickly, (laughs) particularly when we don't have to worry about Zoom dropping us out. So, you know, we've covered a lot in the conversation today. What are the key points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I've tried to put it into three key points. So I think the first is just that company performance has little impact on board turnover. Once you're in, you're staying in, especially if you can get on more than one board. You've got a pool of directors, the ASX 300 directors, who collect fees of about $400 million a year. So I think the average is around $300,000. And it seems that these people remain in their roles regardless of performance, which goes against really what you would want for any other employee within your organisation. So if if that's the case, investors should be looking at what kind of culture is being driven Mm. if the directors can stay and collect their fees regardless of performance. I think the second one is just around the the gender diversity. And whilst you do have clear improvement in gender diversity, I think one of the things I haven't mentioned was around that whilst it's within the non-executive director roles, there's really been little progress within women in chair roles and women in executive director roles. Mm. And I think that is illustrated by the fact currently you have more executive directors named Michael or Mark than you do females (laughs) within the ASX 300. You're giving a bit but you're still not letting them into, it's not going all the way through. And the fact that, you know, we've discussed, it's still a club. Mm. There's still a strong bias towards, you know, making appointments from within the existing pool, especially females. And again, you know, as investors, you should look at this and question whether this means other suitable appointments, Mm. people are being overlooked, just given the tendency to go with people in the club. Go with who you know. Yep. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And is there a resource that you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Yes. So there is a link to an article where the the director mapping tool that I was talking Mm. about, there's sort of a, not a full version, but it's certainly an idea that Mm. you can go on to that link and have a play around with that. Fantastic. It's it's fun. It's, I've, Spend a lot of time uh, going going down the rabbit hole, <laughs> looking at all of these things. Oh my god, I will have fun yeah. playing with that. I have no doubt. Anyone, people who have heard me speak, know that I quite enjoy LinkedIn for seeing who's connected where. So I'm sure I will enjoy the inverted commas LinkedIn for board directors <laughs> and seeing where, who's where. So that'll be great. We'll make sure we put a link, obviously, to the report yep. in the show notes, but also to that mapping tool as well. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for trekking out to see me in person. Thank you for giving your time twice to the Take On Board community and sharing some of your wisdom about this report. We really appreciate getting your insights and I look forward to tracking your board journey yourself in the future as well. So, yeah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.